welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. How is your week, Jeremy? My week's been great, Cortana. I'm smugly sitting in my house right now with all my power on, whilst the rest of my neighborhood actually is in pitch black because there's a power outage in pretty much the whole of Washington or near Seattle right now. So um, I am kind of really smug. I've got my Christmas lights on. I'm just about to start playing the Xbox while my neighbors are probably sitting in pitch black to candlelight reading books and not relying on power at all. Don't be mean. Why don't you invite them over? Well, I mean, I had a party three weeks ago and uh, a lot of the SharePoint MVPs were in town and Two of my neighbors actually knocked on my door and complained, so I don't really feel like I should invite them over because they wouldn't let me party a few weeks ago. Damn straight. Send them back to the Dark Ages. I'm right with you there. Okay, enough of the normal human race. Let's talk tech. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I'm bored of this electric power outage issue discussion. So uh, welcome to episode 72. Unfortunately, um, Richard is in New York at the moment preparing for the Connect event, which I'm hoping you all watched. Wednesday and Thursday this week. If you didn't, go to visualstudio.com slash connect 2015 and you'll be able to see all the latest and greatest news. The episode next week, episode 73, um, will actually cover off exactly what was announced and kind of boil down some of the uh, opinions from the public on what we've talked about. Um, and I'm hopefully going to do that with Sonia next week when she's in town. And I wanted to do that with her, but she's obviously at the event in New York, getting ready for a global streaming tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. our time in Seattle. So it's really exciting to see what people are announcing. Anyway, this week's been really busy. We've got some really cool blog posts we want to go through and some new people that are writing up some stuff. But first, a bit about what our internal teams are doing. So the first one was, um, there was a great post on blogs.office.com about the evolution of PowerPoint. You know, you've heard a lot about Sway in the last few weeks and months, and um, it's nice to see the PowerPoint team announce a preview of something called Designer and Morph. Um, Now, Morph and Designer are some really cool ways that you can kind of it looks at the elements that are in all of your slides and it'll actually suggest some design color schemes and templating on the fly for you using a little bit of machine learning, which is pretty cool. And then Morph, um, the sample they use is a bunch of planets as if you were doing a presentation on kind of the galaxy and it'll automatically animate those planets if you kind of shrink and grow them between slides rather than you have to fiddle around with the animation pane, which is the bane of my existence sometimes when I'm trying to explain concepts around APIs and add-ins. So um, I'm looking forward to using Morph myself, but it is in preview, but it will eventually ship in the product. But uh, So you've just got to be wary. You'll be in a preview build of, of Office if you do do that, but it's pretty exciting to see that going through. In addition to that, the Office 365 developer PNP team been busy again this week. Not only did they blog about the announcement of the November 2015 release with a bunch more samples and content, but they also did a weekly webcast. In this webcast, they talked about JavaScript development patterns in SharePoint. So it's really useful to kind of get see that summary and discussion going on around JavaScript patterns. So please go and check that out. And then one post I wanted to mention, the MVP one that we did in episode 70, but we missed it and we actually missed it last week as well, was that Victor Willen, who is an MVP in an MCM, one of the, the, the very few that actually went through that program, he's actually written a Gulp plugin that syncs local files with a SharePoint site. Now, this is super useful if you're doing anything that you probably would have done in SharePoint Designer before with things like master pages, page layouts, images, JavaScript that lives in a site that you're using to customize SharePoint with. You can actually use a Gulp plugin to sync files from a local directory to the representative directories in a SharePoint team site. This is going to be really useful for those information workers that kind of customize SharePoint sites using just JavaScript directly in SharePoint Design or directly in the browser, but want to use something like Visual Studio Code, which is our code editor, editor that's three that runs on a Mac, Linux, and PC, that you can use to kind of edit those files in a really streamlined way and then run those gulp commands. And you can actually do it directly from code too. So that's a really nice little thing that Victor's kind of open sourcing there. So please go and check that out. In addition to that, we actually had another announcement from the Outlook team. And now 
APIs for the graph.microsoft.com have been in preview since we announced the unified API endpoint. Now, as of the Connect event, we're actually officially putting these to generally available. So mail, calendar, contacts, files will all be in the graph and will be generally available now rather than being in preview. So there'll be a V1 endpoint rather than you accessing on the beta endpoint. And so in the in the last few months, and especially in the last few weeks where we've been kind of getting it all ready for V1, we've done a, quite a lot of name changes to functions and the way that schema, the JSON format comes back. And so we've been blogging on dev.office.com slash blogs to kind of report on what those changes are so you can kind of keep up with us. Now, we have had feedback that this is a lot better than the mystery that kind of surrounded this before, but we also know we can do a lot better too. And so I actually just had a call with um, a team that are working on a changelog internally too. And so hopefully we'll have some good news for that um, early into next year around a more kind of official structured way of providing changes to Office JS the graph endpoint, both in preview and in GA, and also anything that we do inside the add-in space too. So if you are working with mail calendar context files in preview, they've now GA'd as of this week. There's lots of information about that on the website, and you can check out all the news on blogs.office.com and dev.office.com slash blogs where we're going to have more detailed posts and, and so forth. And again, next week's show, we'll cover it in way more detail. And another one we've got is debugging the Office add-ins in the Office clients without Visual Studio. So Todd Baginski was in town for the MVP Summit and was working with some of our engineers. He's been helping us build out that hero demo, the property manager, and he's actually going to be revving our dev.office.com slash training content this time around too, which is exciting because Andrew Connell, Scott Hillier, and Ted Patterson have been doing that in the past, and we just want to kind of rotate that around different people to keep the quality up and get everyone's interpretations in it. And one of the things that he was asking Rolando about was how he debugs Office web add-ins when he's writing the JavaScript code and um, how he tracks errors. And so he's written a blog post on how you can better hook into that debug angles, which is really, really cool. So definitely um, check that post out if you're doing any Office web add-in stuff. And there is actually another debug post there as well, which I'm just going to light up there, which goes into it from a different angle too. And this is someone who's kind of been a C-sharp dev and is learning how to build Office web add-ins too. So that's, that's pretty exciting as well. And then much with the group stuff, there's an Office Groups REST API searching documents across different Office 365 groups using the Groups API. Um, so if you're doing anything around that, definitely worth checking that out. So that's really, really cool too. And then lastly, there is always new evangelists popping up internally within Microsoft. And it's really exciting to see kind of us scale internally as people start learning about Office add-ins and and how to build those things or using our APIs for like iOS development, Android development, and so forth. And what was really cool with this new guy that's on the scene, Simon Yeager, is that he's been speaking at a bunch of conferences, and as he's been learning the add-ins, he's been essentially building, uh, or writing, sorry, a bunch of blog posts. So he's written a few. He's documented how you can use a shared folder on your local machine to dump your manifest in there so that it shows up in your office clients on your Windows machine. Um, a great little kind of screenshot step-by-step approach to doing that. And he's also talked about building a good authentication flow in Office add-ins to communicate back to Azure AD. Um, and he's using the SignalR approach. So he took Richard DeZariga's sample that's in GitHub and essentially has written a blog post that kind of breaks that down into pieces and walks you through it in a really nice way. So I really appreciate Simon doing that. Because um, often Rich is great at kind of doing, building these samples up and working out how to hook things together. But sometimes you you need to kind of sit down and digest what he's written. And, and often he's so busy with his travel that he doesn't get time to do a YouTube video and a blog post. And so it's great to see other people kind of dissecting those things as well. And then lastly, he did a post on dissecting and validating the exchange identity token as well. So definitely go and check out those links by Simon to get an idea about whatever content's out there and really his take on gathering a bunch of people's information and, and sharing it in his own way. So big thanks for um, for doing that as well. So that was all for this week, but I'm really excited to announce that we've got Chris Johnson on the show. He was there at the European SharePoint conference last week with me 
he was presenting in a few sessions and I finally managed to corner him to get him on the show to talk about SharePoint development. I really hope you enjoy the show. He's definitely one of my favorite guys in the community. I've followed his blog for a long, long, long time and he's just full of information and works on some really exciting projects. So it's a great way to learn about SharePoint development as he kind of transverses into Office Web add-ins and APIs as well. We'll get more wealth out of him that way too. So big thanks for taking the time, Chris. And um, I hope you enjoy the show. Next week, we'll talk about the build updates and then we'll come back and loop round on talking about the hackathon that happened at the Stockholm event where we had eight really, really, really good submissions and obviously one winner, which was the Delve add-in for um, Word and PowerPoint, which allowed you to, the document you're actually editing in the Office client, you could go and submit it to a Delve board and tag it at the same time using the underlying APIs. So they're looking right now to get those submitted to the store and they all won Xbox Ones who are in that team. So congrats to that team for doing that. If you'd like to see more about what's happening in the hackathons until that podcast, we've actually got a website, dev.office.com slash hackathons. And this one was the European SharePoint Conference. There was eight submissions there. You can go and check out the three-minute videos that kind of demonstrate what was happening. It's a great way of kind of getting an idea about what's going on in the world of of add-ins and so forth. So, um, yeah, with that, I hope you have a great week. I um, hope you're enjoying power like I am, smugly in my neighborhood right now. And um, I hope to see you online this week on Twitter, shouting out about this podcast and giving us your feedback on it, all the news that's happened at Connect this week. Thanks very much. Yeah, actually, this venue was really good too. Like, the, it's huge. Like, I can imagine a lot of big events being run here, but um, the rooms are a fair size for the dev audience. You, you have packed rooms, I saw, in the ones you did yesterday. and Yeah, they seem to go okay. And I think, you know, as a venue, it's great for speakers. And, you know, even sort of the general conference things, like the gala dinner was in this amazing yeah, building last right. night, wasn't it? That was beautiful. Like, yeah. they give away the Nobel Prizes there, Peace Prize there every year. Yeah. But um, it was sure. fascinating. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure the uh, sort of influencer awards are in the same category. As no, the that's right. Awards, the, the community awards for Europe are like they're walking up those steps, you know. As I was announcing the hackathon winners, it was um, I'm standing on that podium thinking, "God, oh, President Obama's been up here and talked in this right same spot," you know. So, um, yeah, it was, in his footsteps. yeah, right. It was kind of a little bit eerie being in that building. I mean, there's a lot of history in there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was the Stockholm City Hall, I think, is the official title. That's we right. were in the the blue room which was the the ballroom that they had kind of set up and it was a a very magnificent courtyard with a roof over it essentially it was um it was pretty cool i think we had our microsoft table going on with jeff teeper and and doug from the OneDrive team in there and my engineers patricia abiram and um uh, juan labra who kind of were here for the hackathon so it was kind of nice to for them to experience a conference like this as well so But yeah, it's been good. I'm, I'm ready to go home now, though, I must mm. admit. I've been on the road a fair bit in the last few months. Yeah, so. you've been a busy boy. Yeah. yeah. So, not that anyone on the show who's listening to the show doesn't know who you are, but <laughs> who is Chris O'Brien? All right, so I'm based out of London, uh, UK, and uh, I'm basically an independent consultant, but have a, a long relationship with some guys in the UK called Content & Code. Yeah. They sort of specialise in SharePoint and Office 365 and all the related services. I've got a team of 20 developers there and, you know, we do a mix of on-premises SharePoint and uh, Office 365 and SharePoint Online. And, uh, you know, we get confronted with quite a wide range of client requirements that we uh, we basically have to deliver. Yeah. And you, how long have you been an MVP for? Uh, eight years. Wow, okay. Something like that, yeah. And have you always been in SharePoint as an MVP? Yes, uh, and prior to SharePoint, I came up through the content management server route. Oh, same so, as Andrew. Yeah, Andrew same as AC and Spence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even when I talk to some guys in the SharePoint product group now, like Pat Miller, yeah. you know, I remember him from the CMS days, and, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the journey. And so how, how can people find you online? Where would they have discovered you? So my blog is at sharepointnutsandbolts.com and uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris O underscore Brian. So yep. place the apostrophe with an underscore. And, and most people would just assume you're Irish from the name. But yeah. And then they hear you speak and they're like, oh, okay, that's that's not what I expected. Yeah, well, I still have this uh, this weird Mancunian accent. That's which, right, yeah. Which sort of fools a lot of American people and, uh, you they know... They think that might be Irish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> there is some Irish in me, but uh, yeah, not a, not a super strong connection. Yeah. Well, I would just like to say on behalf of everyone, like you, you, you do an amazing job in the community, and um, like I was brought up in the SharePoint world reading your blog, and it definitely helped me out. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to the show who are the same. So I really appreciate what you do for cool. the community. Well, it's, uh, always good. Keep it going. Thank and, you. And um, you know, like over time on the show where we do the weekly updates, we're always consistently. You know, mentioning your blog posts and they're always really solid. So it's um, it's great that you're around and, and kind of sharing everything you're learning around this. Especially, you know, you were one of the f- forefront around kind of SharePoint Online and you know best practices around deployment and dev. So it's been really useful for us to be able to put see what you're doing as recommendations, but you know, and to feed that package into engineering as well. Yeah, well, I think it's always fun. You know, writing a writing a blog article and, and getting some nice uh, sort of feedback on it. Um, but when you're in the middle of you know sort of listening to Microsoft and, and sort of hearing about what's coming and then in the middle of the day-to-day job of delivering things for clients, you know, you, it's, it's hard not to have things to say in some yeah. ways. And I think a lot, of the, a lot of the great community guys out there are in that position. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, so this week there was two, and I missed both because the hackathon just totally absorbed me. I was, um, we had... 50 to 60 people in the room when they, we did the pitch and then 10 teams formed and 8 submitted which was great but there was a, a few teams that were struggling a little bit with the auth stuff mm-hmm. in Azure AD uh, as always which mm-hmm. is something you know, we need to get better at so I really wanted to go to your session and um, I was trying to help a team get unblocked on calling the, um, the video portal APIs actually and so I missed your session, but I just saw your deck and obviously the abstract kind of pulled me in. But it's interesting with what you were talking about, you know, this, this level of SharePoint is not a development platform. SharePoint is a service and mm-hmm. da, 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 da. But I, I love the way that you express it when you talk about it. Like how, when you're working with customers, you used a really good scenario. Like how do you talk about that from a customer development perspective and what SharePoint is to your customer and how you deliver that as a, as a, I guess there's a solution to, mm. to them. Well, I think what we find is that, you know, whilst you can argue lots of semantic things about whether it's a dev platform or whether it's a services platform, you know, there's, there's now a pretty rich solution that comes with the product, but it still doesn't always meet the needs that clients have. Right. You know, I, I talk to clients where um, perhaps their business runs in certain ways and, you know, maybe they, they're completely structured around bids and projects you know we've got a few clients like that where one half of the business is trying to win projects uh, maybe to to go off and build or implement something and the other half is delivering them and you know it's a great platform it, it comes with lots of things and team sites are great and so on but it doesn't necessarily have all of the things that they they want to to power their business yeah you know if they have a scenario like assembling cvs to sort of meet a particular need and they want to dynamically build them or they want to quickly find people of a certain kind then you know you often find that what comes out the box isn't isn't quite enough to meet right. these needs so yeah. there's, there's still a need for dev it's just i guess that the way that we build these solutions has changed a lot over the years yeah six years ago we were sort of on almost like uh, minute number three of the conversation we were opening Visual Studio right, and cracking away yeah. And, yeah and now it's you know I think the skill is really understanding the building blocks and understanding you know how to build solutions in the right way and, and when to code and, and how to use the, the building blocks that come in the best way possible yeah and I think there's different maturity levels of it right like you've got the web browser interface of configuring a SharePoint site to get it to do what you want it to do mm-hmm. like in that scenario with the CVs you could go and create a document library you could use the you know a list view web part to list the, the all the cvs and have some special filters and maybe you did a few different list view web parts on the page yep. for different parts of that business process you could use search to you know natively to find the different things in that cv and have a custom results web part that did that type of custom rendering yeah but then you start getting out of those realms of is that repeatable and maybe you should be using visual studio mm-hmm. to then make it deployable as a solution in different different environments and yeah and then you start cracking out that code because they want special web parts that the out-of-the-box web parts can't be configured just so to That's get that right. right or you know i guess if i was to think about that particular scenario a bit more what if the client actually wants to generate the CV as a document in a specific way, you know, almost yeah. like as a, 
you know, little building blocks from the CV or the document, and, and then you know you've. You're probably running out of road with the out of the box right. web parts and yep. things like that. So, you know, I think that there's always a need, and it's interesting. You know, I wrote a post recently about my wish list for sort of Office 365 and SharePoint, and it would be nice to see the base functionality evolve. You know, and there's there's a whole partner ecosystem out there, obviously, but you know, I still think it'd be nice to see more functional things in the product and. You know, I think maybe that's how things will go, but I'm sure there'll always be opportunities for yeah. developers to... Uh, yeah, and I think, the- you know, with things like the, you know, the, the next-gen portal, the ready-to-go portals, I mean, they're being rebranded, but the the video portal is a good example of that. That's SharePoint mm-hmm. under the covers. Mm-hmm. We saw every customer in the world building a YouTube for the enterprise, mm-hmm. so we decided to, and I hate this word, but put it on Rails yep. and, and have, you know, essentially a SharePoint site with a new presentation layer, which is the video portal, and leverage the Azure streaming capabilities. And I think you'll see more of those portals come through over time where, you know, we know what those scenarios are, that enterprises are continually building Mm. themselves and we want to do it in a way that adds that that experience but is extensible as well. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I I think it's that that basically keeps SharePoint and Office 365 in the game for the next five or ten years. And, you know, I I think that's why I, I would like to see some of this, you know, we've all bet heavily on this platform and you really want it to succeed, you know, in the, the next time frame as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's certainly part of it, but I think where we are now is probably a really exciting time. You know, I'm starting to sense some of the things that are in the pipeline, partly from the MVP summit last week and partly the, you know, the, the highlights that have been announced a little bit by Jeff Teeper and Bill Bear this week. Yeah. And, you know, if ever I was thinking about a time to sort of uh, hang up the gloves and become a farmer or become a gardener, you know, because you think that maybe not a lot of innovation is happening in in the service, you know, I'm starting to realise in the past two weeks that actually it'd be a really bad time to to make that call. It's kind of exciting. I mean, you know, I think our competitors are, you know, forcing a hand a little bit. I, you know, the SharePoint's kind of sat still for Mm. quite a while now, really. I think... um, it was Dan Holm actually in his keynote yesterday was talking about, you know, by the time SharePoint 2010 had shipped, they were already thinking about 2013. Mm-hmm. And so really when it, by the time the server product shipped, it was three years of, yep. of old vision, really. Yeah. And then, you know, with 2013, when that shipped, we were already, you know, well into SharePoint Online thinking. Mm-hmm. And now with the way that we release on almost like a three-month cadence, I guess, is a good way of explaining it, of, of features it's um, the, the innovation's coming a lot quicker. We're not thinking about things for a year and then spending three years shipping. Yeah. You know, this is really happening quickly. And, you know, that it, it is a different experience for users because you can see we're ducking and weaving a bit. Like, we've made some changes in OneDrive for, mm-hmm. for business and the UI and moved things around. And it's really just to do with the fact that we're getting that feedback of what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and, um, and that yeah. Sort of has an impact on people that build solutions around the platform and developers as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, because uh, you, I think you have to you have to keep up a lot more. And when I see guys in my team that are perhaps um, either just participating in conversations within the company, I mean, actually, ironically, Yammer is, is quite successful where we are. There's been a lot of discussion around <laughs> it last week, but it works really well in, in content and code. And, you know, there's some great dev conversations yeah. and some great sort of general solution conversations that happen there. And, you know, I'll never sort of blame a, a, a dev in, in the team for spending a lot of time reading because yeah. I think you need to do that these days. You need to understand where the boundaries lie, when is it good to code, when is it not good to, and what's coming. And, yeah. you know, so I think a lot of it is, is really keeping up with the fire hose and, and that's a real skill in some ways. Yeah, and we're, we're trying to do a, a better job of kind of how we communicate that and not make it seem so intimidating, mm. like via podcasts and mm. Sonia's dev show and with a blog, the monthly digest and, and different different mediums I guess of trying to keep up but it, it is a lot yeah. and uh, you know obviously I'm the one holding the hose and yeah. filling it up which is <laughs> you know right. it keeps me busy so it's always we've got you to blame but you know on the flip side I do think you and your team do a great job of this Thank and you. you know the way the information is presented on dev.office.com is really good now and you know, I think if anybody that wants to keep up then yeah. th- they can oh, yeah, things I are mean, presented well that's right so to do it it's not like we're hiding and you, you know you got to come to an MVP summit to hear what's going on like yeah, we're being very exactly. open with it yeah I do sometimes find myself though listening to a podcast when I'm running 
and then find out actually I have to stop running <laughs> so I can rewind and listen to that bit properly. Yeah. You're like, what did he just say? Yeah, yeah. There's some hidden meaning in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Whoa, does that mean that something is... Uh, <laughs> I didn't realise you could authenticate like that. <laughs> but yeah, the information is there and you, know, you guys do a great job these days. Yeah, and I think the keeping up, uh, I think the key part that I've, I've always been aware of um, with SharePoint is that being aware of what the capabilities are of SharePoint out of the box. I remember when I first started in, in industry as a consultant, you know, w- there was a .NET dev team and a web shop that were building with SharePoint. And then you saw what they were doing. And basically all they were doing was shoehorning .NET development, mm-hmm. ASP.NET development into a SharePoint page. Yeah. And they were doing everything from scratch. And I'd look at them and be like, you do realize there's a content query website there that would basically do what you just spent six weeks building. (laughs) Or, you know, like, what have you built a search engine when there's search out of the box with SharePoint? Yeah. And and those aggregation scenarios, yeah, you see a lot of custom code around that. Yeah. Just pure not understanding what's in the box. And and I think that journey is getting bigger now because SharePoint guys need to think outside of the SharePoint box and think about, like, what does groups give me? Mm. Um, What does uh, mail calendar contacts give me? what does the video portal give me and you know and so things like our property manager hero demo that mm-hmm. I work with Todd Baginski on start to illustrate like what you what you can do with the whole platform and not just you know laser focused on just SharePoint dev that's right that does some cool things doesn't it like yeah. uh, adding members to groups yeah. and uh, sort of using uh, sort of OneDrive to store the files yeah. and all the engineer scheduling going into creating OneNote pages using the one right. API yeah, yeah. and yeah we're, we're pushing the boundaries there yeah calendar entries entries for the engineers and yeah so I, I, I've demoed that solution in the past and I think it is a really good sample that illustrates so much of the services and, and also how to code around them as well yes yeah. you know he's pushing you know the data into you know the calendar and and sending mails and things like that so. yeah like we do we have the connect type samples which are the very lightweight you know you can just it push a button and see the code behind what that button's doing, mm. which people find useful. But I think sometimes having a, a full-blown solution like that or mm. like the CV reg- resume manager you're talking about allows people to realize like how that works together as one big yep. like set of building blocks yep. as opposed to in isolation. Oh, the one API has a create page function, you know, like sometimes it's good to paint the picture of what that means, putting them all together. As a, um, who was it? It was uh, Richard Campbell from the .NET Rock show. I was chatting to him at the summit and he was saying, yeah, mashing things up, you mm. know, taking all these bits of the different platforms, building blocks and mashing them together to build something. Yeah. So yeah, so that, that's um, a good, good scenario there for sure. Mm. And, you know, as you sort of develop more around the platform and, and Office 365, you know, that's been an interesting journey for us because, you know, some of the, I guess some of the landscape has changed along the right. journey, you yeah. know, and, and things that we used to do, we've now got clearer guidance to say, hey, look, guys, you shouldn't be doing that. And I think about, you know, solutions that we developed in the beginning where maybe, you know, people just didn't know that they shouldn't be customizing the sweet bar, for right. example, in, in Office 365. Yeah. You know, all the uh, sort of types of CSS and JavaScript solutions based around things like that. Yeah. I think along the journey, things have become clearer for developers in, in terms of, you know, what is a good idea in terms of a customization or an enhancement and, and what isn't. And that was part of the session that I did, uh, well, the two sessions that I've done this week, really. So I did one for uh, do's and don'ts around Office 365 development. Yeah. Uh, and another one which was kind of a, a slightly deeper dive into one aspect, which is whether you should build an Office 365 app or a SharePoint add-in. Yeah, which is a question we get a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. and I think I started out with that one just because I, I was faced with some client requirements and I had to decide myself. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I you just find it the easiest way is to write a blog post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started out with down. some pros and cons of each, and you know, then I realized that I needed to think about it in terms of the end-user experience. Right. And you, know, you start to get to things like, well, a SharePoint add-in, you know, it typically gets installed to a SharePoint site. Yeah. And, yep, you've got the option of a tenant scoped install to push it out globally. But then there's some things you can't do, like app parts and ribbon customizations and so on. But then with an Office 365 app, the end user experience is different because the user can just bookmark the URL, hit, hit it directly. Yeah. If they haven't got a valid session, then they get directed to the sign-in gateway and they yeah. have to sign in. So, you know, there's there's impacts on 
the end user, on the sort of administrator and yeah. the developer in a way. So, you know, this is the kind of thing I've been talking about this week. Yeah, it's like the, the modularity of a SharePoint add-in, like being able to kind of plug it into an existing site. Mm. I think a lot of the times, you know, people would build a WSP or they'd build an add-in um, to deploy artifacts to a site to light it up. Mm. Yeah, and, and sometimes that's not necessary. Like I know a lot of the work that Vaser and the PMP team have been doing around remote provisioning, you don't actually need a, an add-in. You can just call APIs and run yep. things at once because that's really all you're doing in an environment is just firing a bunch of APIs, API calls and deploying those artifacts. But once they're in, they're done. That's right. And, and in many ways, you know, I've seen some sort of fairly developer-y solutions that rely on files sort of being in the SharePoint site. But actually, how they get there isn't the important thing right. in some ways. You know, and I've seen quite a few solutions that are kind of rich and, and functional, um, but really they just depend on the files perhaps being uploaded to some document libraries. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a whole legion of client-side type solutions like that in a way. And uh, I know we had some discussion about this, you know, in, in recent weeks about the various sort of levels of dev approach. And, yeah. uh, you know, I guess my background is perhaps thinking about things from the ALM perspective and, you yeah. know, I've always been a packaging and repeatable deployment yeah, kind too. of guy. Yeah. Um, but I do understand that in many ways how the actual files get there might not always be the most important thing. Yeah, and it's something like, you know, you, when I talk to kind of that, that the power user developer like a, a Mark Anson or Mark Rackley and mm. you know you start talking about them using SharePoint Designer to edit files and well how do you get that from dev test prod and mm. well we're editing directly in production mm. and whereas like kind of from my development background with LM and you know like well it really should be in a dev environment and then it should progress through to test and production and the easiest way to do that is to package it and yeah. have it automatically build and deploy and yeah, that's right and it's interesting sometimes when you know the guys that have to work in in those scenarios, you know, they, they often end up in, in that place in development techniques because they don't have lots of test environments that are before production. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, production and, is test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's another aspect of working with the platform that I've always advised our clients that, hey, look, if you are doing some tailoring or enhancements around the platform, you are going to need another tenancy right, at right. least. You know. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the one I always used to use when I was a consultant was that with a, with if you built that CV resume thing and, you know, you had it in a certain way that, you know, the customer's using it live, that's a V1, but customers change their mind at some mm. point, they're going to want a new requirement. You can't sit there and work in production when they're using that thing day to day. So you need to clone that into another environment to start, modifying it, demo it to the customer, making sure they're happy. And then you need to put all those changes into production. Yeah. And you don't really want that in a way that isn't repeatable on a push of a button. You don't want to be going, oh, what did I do? Oh, I know, I added a site column to this list. And that's right. I've renamed that field. And, yeah. you know, and then you deploy the web parts and you realize that you didn't rename the field yeah. on this list and it breaks. And now you've got a 200 page Word document deployment guide. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I, I get that there's always a case for some sort of deployment guide in many customized sort of solutions but I think the aim is to automate as much as you can. Yeah I, I used to remember walking into some of the customers I worked with as a consultant where you know like there'd be other people in there and they'd built these amazing solutions but there was zero documentation on mm. what was what was put together and they, oh yeah we have a dev test prod and you look at the environments and they're totally all different and mm. you know they're totally out of whack version wise. And mm. But we find ourselves building solutions that rely on a lot of things that are basically global in scope in, in SharePoint Online. Yeah, so yeah. things like user profiles, search, taxonomy. Yeah. You know, you make a change there as you're building a solution. And if, right. if you're in production, then you're changing it for everybody. Right, right. You know? It's not just your solution that you're yeah, pushing exactly. out. It's not just your site collection. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is a globally scoped thing. So, you know, it's things like that that meant that, you know, I've always advised our clients to... You know, create different tenancies and we have a model where we will usually create a dev and a test tenancy yeah. and the client might create a UAT and a production tenancy yeah. and you know it's not perfect approach because some overhead comes with it and you've got more environments to manage and so on but you know just because we're in the cloud some of these ALM considerations don't necessarily go away yeah. you still have the need for isolation and 
repeatability of what you're building. And, and what kind of tools or techniques are you using to kind of keep those in sync? Like if I go back to that dev test problem and being mm-hmm. totally out of sync, that's always traditionally be something that's very hard in, mm-hmm. in a SharePoint world. You know, like if you're in a SQL world, you had things like Redgate tools that would do like the schema comparisons yeah. and script those changes, those diffs. How do you approach that with your team? I mean, having that many devs, mm. you know, I'm assuming they're not all living in one dev environment for all these bigger projects and no, they might right. be isolated. So what we do is we create a dev tenancy per sort of project that we work on. Okay. Um, and we find that, you know, the, the devs are kind of fairly fluid in their approaches. We, they might sort of choose to create an individual site collection as a, a working area whilst they're, they're devving and so on. Yeah. We also find that we still, we still give our guys an on-premises VM because sometimes if you're developing something, you might find that you've got something not quite right and you basically need ULS logs. Yeah. And because that's kind of still a gap in SharePoint Online, yeah. you know, just to be able to deploy your solution locally and see what the error is in, in ULS, in on-premises SharePoint, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that can be useful and unblock you in that scenario. So, you know, we have this model where we've got these different tenancies and typically we, we use sort of provisioning approaches so that we've got repeatability of deploying files into the tenancy. Maybe we make some changes with PowerShell and CSOM so that if we need to change some configuration, we're doing it in a scripted way. Yeah. All this is going in source control and basically coming together to form a release of, of that product, if you like. And that seems to work well, you know, we don't do too much perhaps on keeping content in sync between yeah. the environments. You know, I'm sure there's, there's third-party tools that, that can serve you well there, but we don't tend to have a big need for that. Right. Um, you know, as we're just developing the solution, it's more about sort of making sure that our environments are in sync and things are going properly from dev, test, UAT, and production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then as we sort of start to develop more, more apps of some kind, whether it is an Office 365 app or... Uh, or a SharePoint add-in, you know, we, we might be developing some ASP.NET MVC kind of site that is basically the app. And then, you know, we've looked at other approaches like uh, deployment slots in Azure. Right. And, you know, having having that serve as our, our dev test production isolation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of works well in some ways because you have the option of um, just doing the segregation purely on the Azure side and things become simpler because then you're your app can basically run in the production environment, but you've still got a different version of your code base running in dev test prod. Right. It's just that it's split is on it's the Azure managed. side. Yeah. But that's really useful because if you're sort of using search or using user profiles or you need to test, you know, that it works well in a single sign-on kind of way, well, your production tenant has all that, you know, and so the search results that come back are the real search results. Right. User profile data that you're working with in your app is the real profile data. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, it's looking for these opportunities and, and just understanding the, the stack as well as you can to, to basically get these, these approaches that, that work well in dev. And, and so with the, um, the, this aspect of the SharePoint add-in versus the Office 365 web application, what, what kind of are the major things you see, the decision points between those two? So, you know, it's interesting because underneath, in both forms, it's probably still like a just a web app of some kind, right? right. You know, for us, we're, we're Microsoft stack, so it would be MVC or, you know, a .NET web app at least. Yeah. Whether it is a SharePoint provider hosted add-in or an Office 365 app. But the differences really come into, you know, um, whether the app needs to be installed to a site, you know, a SharePoint add-in, basically has a tight coupling with the site that yeah. it's installed in. And the user really has to enter the app from the site contents page. You know, and that's how SharePoint add-ins work, right? That's how, yeah. that's what's needed for authentication. Um, so it's things like that. And also the functional aspects, you know, can we, um, can we sort of meet the needs with the Office 365 APIs, you know, for mail, calendar, files, and so on, or whether we need to step outside that. So, you know, there's a few things to consider, but I think the big thing that changed along the journey is that initially the Office 365 app approach was really around, okay, here's how you auth and here's the APIs that you've got. And if your requirements can be met with that stack, then great. It could be an Office 365 app and you'll get the app launcher integration and so on. Yeah. But then, you know, as the 
as the technology has been improved and, and the Office 365 engineering team have, have you know, enhanced the, uh, the stack, we can now authenticate to Office 365 and Azure AD, but use that token with the original SharePoint remote APIs like CSOM and REST. Yeah. And I see more and more that that's the pattern that, that works the best in some ways because you get the benefits of you know, the, the app or the add-in not needing to be installed in the site you don't need to force the users to go via a SharePoint site to go into the app. Yeah. But yet you've you know, you can step outside of the Office 365 APIs if you need to and use the underlying APIs like SharePoint, CSOM and REST. Yeah. And you know, I think more and more that's the kind of pattern that you know we, we want to build on and I think those are core techniques that every modern sort of SharePoint SharePoint Online developers should should get to grips with. And I guess that way you own the full UI, which is a good and a bad thing too. Right? Like yeah. it, often there's a case where, you, uh, to use the word mashup again, you need to be sat by side with a few different business solutions. And in that instance, mm. kind of launching from the app launcher and being dedicated to the expense tracking system isn't going to be as valuable as going to a SharePoint site where you can get at the expense tracking system as well as the resume system and whatever other system you're building, right? That's right. And I think it's understanding how, how you need to present this to end users because, you know, where we originally built some provider-hosted SharePoint add-ins, you know, we'd sometimes have end users saying to me, all right, this works great, but why can I not just go to the expense tracking system? Right, why right. do I have to go via my team site? Right, right. You know, it, it's got nothing to do with this team site or any other team site yeah, yeah. for that matter. It just so happens it needs somewhere to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, part of the benefit of, of doing it the Office 365 app approach. Yep. That it can be a truly standalone system. You can just bookmark the URL or use the app launcher to get to it and so on. And, and so with owning the UI, have you had a chance to play with the fabric, Office UI fabric, Mike? I have, yep. I have built uh, a simple app with uh, Office UI fabric. And uh, yeah, I think it's great because uh, I've basically produced an app that's a simplified form onto site provisioning. All right. uh, so basically a form onto you know, what is basically the patterns and practices site provisioning engine. And yeah. you know, I've got that running as a, a web job in Azure and so on. And I produced, you know, quite a nice looking form. I had a bit of uh, help from one of the front end guys in my team, but even what I had was looking pretty good because of that nice. stuff. And it, it's it's really cool actually because that's where a lot of solutions would fall down if, um, you know, if it's not a full project, it's just something you're trying to turn around quickly. Most devs haven't got great sort of look and feel skills, yeah, and uh, you'd end up with you know a, a wide variety of. Uh, what the app would look like in the front end. But now, you know... It, it can have that consistency. Yeah, it fits in well, and the experience is pretty good, and I've got some nice transitions in there and some yeah. nice dialogue boxes. And uh, even when I was looking at it from, from where I had it, I was like, holy cow, this, yeah. this experience works quite well. Yeah, one of the hackathon teams built a Delve kind of type add-in for Word, mm-hmm. PowerPoint Excel as a task pane add-in. And they used the, um, the fabric there, and it just looked like it was a Microsoft add-in, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's good for end users because it just it feels and looks like you'd expect the rest of the product to look, and not like some garingly developer-like non, yeah, you know, good-looking add-in. That's right. I think it gives your solutions kind of a lot more credibility with right users. It's polish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the the guys that came in second place, like he he was really nice. He came up to me last night and he was like, you know, can you, what, how would I have won? What would have what, what differentiated that team? I said, in all honesty, a lot of the feedback we got from public voting and from the judges looking at the, the different hack um, solutions was that the, the, the UI of what he built was just not quite polished enough. Like it was a little mm. bit too devy. Mm. And technically his solution was amazing. Like I don't know, he was an individual guy. I don't know how he got all that done in a day. Wow. But I just said to him, I said, look, if you'd have just applied that style sheet and just, you know, chucked a few tags on your, your elements in your page, you'd have probably yep. been a lot closer to getting that first place in the hackathon. Yeah, so, the look and feel is, is still really important, yeah, yeah, even, even amongst devs. Right. Anyway. I mean, the reality was the way the public voting was working is each solution had a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And so it was all really about that presentation and the pitch. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that people were going to go digging into 
source code and looking at technically how amazing it was under the covers. So it just does go to show that polished is a big thing. That's right. And and that's the challenge for devs in many ways. They've got quite a lot to understand about authentication and different uh, different grant flows in Azure AD. But, you know, in the end, your client doesn't care about that. Right, you know, they, they care that the app needs to be secure. Yeah. But they don't care about JWAP tokens going over the wire yeah. and, you know, the whole OAuth dance. But, you know, they will care about what the solution looks like and yeah. how, it, how it plays with their end users. And um, so when you said about the, the do's and the don'ts, what were some of the things? That, I mean, we've covered a few of them, I think, in that, in that list. But what the, the big ones that you were saying there around... Mm-hmm. Um, the APIs as well. I know you mentioned that before in the past. Yeah, so I think I, I kind of uh, broke the talk down into several areas, and uh, you know, I started out with some fundamental don'ts that you know probably most people that have worked on this service should should understand, uh, and that was things like you know things that you technically can do, but you know really shouldn't be doing these days, like. Even using the sandbox APIs, you know, that's, yeah. you, you can write server-side code and, and get your WSP up there in SharePoint Online. But you know, I think we know that that code service is, is you know, not always going to be there in yeah. SharePoint Online. Yeah, I mean, we've deprecated that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, so that's that's a good example of the kind of things that you shouldn't do. But, but and I think do. that a lot of that is just because people are comfortable with writing server-side code in a WSP mm-hmm. as a as a closer transition from farm solutions to something that's cloud ready. Yeah. But I think the reality is, is that, yeah, you're right that, you know, we, we may eventually, you know, turn put some dates out there of this code service is not running in, in the service. Yeah. And um, we may not, to be honest, we really, we, our current stance is we're, it's running and, and mm. we'll leave it running. But um, I think, you know, it, it's worth forcing yourself to make a larger step into being comfortable with client side object model yeah. as opposed to the server side and, and, and be you know ready for where that evolution of the added model is as well. Yeah, that's right. And you know there's there's a few interesting side scenarios around that, like whether a no code sandbox solution is still a good vehicle. And you know, that's something that I've when more guidance came out to say that you know, you shouldn't really even be doing no-code sandbox solutions. And, and, right. You know, another, so like declarative XML exactly. to provision lists and content types and stuff. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a whole interesting area in many ways because, you know, we've got guys in my team that are really quick with that XML. Right, you know? <laughs> with the, the list wizards yeah. and yeah. good old Mike Morton when he was in the days that's of the, right. the Visual Studio engineering team building all that stuff. Yeah, had good tooling. And yeah. Even just working with the XML, you know. I've spent eight years in that. Right, the list schema. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so a lot of the guys in my team, and, you know, you've always got something from the last solution to go back from and and sort of copy-paste, modify kind of thing. So, you know, that that came up as another sort of perhaps a more controversial don't. So, you know, we've now got guidance to not use feature XML for provisioning things like fields and content types and so on. And I guess when I first heard that guidance, you know, I wasn't too happy about that one just because we are so efficient and quick at it. Yeah. And, you know, the the reasons that Microsoft gave were that, well, we got some dependencies in databases and it makes upgrade kind of hard for us. And, you know, it's, it's not great for us running the service. You know, I was saying to guys in, in the product group and other areas like patterns and practices, like, yeah, but that's not my problem, dude. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's right. It's, it's a bit of an interesting area, but where where I went in my talk is that you know it is kind of annoying sometimes with these bits of guidance. But actually, some of the modern alternatives, once you've done it the first time and you've gone round the loop and you know laid some things down, actually you're not losing much time at all. And no, it's, it's just a different muscle, right? That's right, yeah. And I think it's, in my opinion, like I wrote an article a long time ago, like it was imperative versus declarative provisioning. Mm-hmm. It's way back in the 20, 2007 days, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was controversial. It was like, well, why are you doing that? Like it's a lot of, then there was no documentation on like how to use a service side object model to provide, like, imperative code in C-sharp because mm. all the samples out there are all XML schema-based right, samples. Yeah. But that's all flipped, you know, because the PMP team have done a really, really good job of providing a ton of samples of here's the C-sharp to yeah. create a content type, create a list, you know, bind pages and, and so forth. And, and that API is now, is now really good. Uh, but it is interesting that, again, we have kind of come full circle in a way, even with what the Patterns and Practices team have been doing recently because... We had this .NET CSOM API for provisioning, right. and I could, 
you know, get a web object and add a field or add a content type. And we, we did we did use that quite a lot. And we've yeah. got some solutions out there that use a lot of, you know, code-based remote provisioning. Yeah. But then, you know, you work with that for a while and you kind of think, yeah, it kind of feels like we need some... Uh, Instead of duplicating all this code every time, we kind of just want some XML right, representation. Right. Yeah, and that's what's happened with the provisioning exactly. model. Yeah, so no, I had Paolo this. on the podcast uh, mm-hmm. last week, and that, that's what they've done. They've built yeah. this XML or JSON format, actually, you can have either, yeah. that now this engine reads that definition yeah. and goes and, goes and runs the, the C-sharp code to then go and provision that in the site. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, that's not that far from what a feature XML file exactly. is. So it's kind of ironic that we've come full circle. Uh, but actually, I'm really happy with the way that solution is looking now and we're using it for our sort of our client projects. Oh, that's forward great. And it's working well. The guys have done a really good job. And I think what they've ended up with is a good solution because it's now... It's XML representation or JSON, as you say, but it's, do, it's doing remote provisioning now, yeah. and that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah. But the whole thing is a bit ironic because you mentioned you wrote about it many yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. And in my deck, I nearly put a, a picture of me from a talk that's on stage, and there's me uh, in the shot, and then there's a big slide on the screen <laughs> behind, and it's talking about pros and cons of imperative provisioning versus declarative. Oh, really? And uh, the date on the shot, I think, was 2008. Far out. Now in 2015. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it just shows you that this is one of those sort of long-running SharePoint debates. Right, that's it. One of, the, one of the masters there. Yeah, I mean, I remember I wrote that open source project with Rich Finn, the... Um, mm-hmm. SP source where you could point at a list and it would go and generate the right. list scheme recommend, which was just horrible. Mm. And you know, it got to the point where there, it was just there were some elements of that XML that were just mysterious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just easier to write the C sharp equivalent of it to get it to do that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's I think it's great. And, and as Paolo said in the last show, uh, the fact now that you can point at an existing site and it will generate that JSON the XML is really cool too yeah. and so I'd it like, speeds it up that's right and it, it is a great solution I'd like to see that be a core part of SharePoint SharePoint yeah. online yeah I mean right now it's this um, a PMP partner pack mm. but um, I can definitely see engineering team going yeah look we need to just, this just needs to be in the product Yeah. but for now I think it's it's been polished as a repo and um, there's a good step mm-hmm. but um, I know Vase is working with the engineering team to see like you know can we just have it in there yeah, and this is just the path that we're on, basically, isn't it? Um, you know, and we talked about other things uh, this week in the talk as well, around other bits of guidance, like not using custom master pages and web templates, and these are topics that I've written about on my blog, so people can, can go and sort of read about that if uh, they're interested. But, you know, I, I guess fundamentally, I think we've got guidance that comes out of teams like uh, the, well, the product group, but also, you know, patterns and practices and so on. But sometimes, you know, it just needs a bit of assessment and a bit of considered thought as to whether the guidance that these guys need to give, because there's a whole world of teams out there, with, yeah. uh, you know, and they, they need some guidance, but just whether these pieces of individual uh, advice, you know, they just, you know, it's something that you should always adhere to or whether it needs a bit of considered thought in terms of your particular situation and what you're trying to build. And, you know, Custom Master Page is one of those, you know, we're saying that, we should try and avoid using them in, in SharePoint Online these days. But I still think there's some circumstances where it can be a valid choice. You know, if you've got a publishing intranet with a, a very uh, specific look and feel or you've got responsive design and, you know, this isn't about team sites and commodity sites in right. SharePoint. Which, it's about a particular portal instance, yeah. right? And I definitely think that, you know, you really shouldn't be customizing team sites and those commodity types of things because yeah. it's just low value when you do expend effort customizing yeah, yeah. them. It confuses users as well when they're jumping between different team sites and things that they are in eight out of their ten sites. That's and then there's right. these two weird sites that have had a, a custom master page where they're not there. Yeah, and I always think that, you know, SharePoint, you know, globally, it's in use in so many organizations. And I think there's a big benefit in organizations being consistent with each other. Right, People right. move jobs and, yeah. you know, it's, it's good to have SharePoint just yeah, for SharePoint. There was this era of, like, making SharePoint not look like SharePoint. Mm. And I, I know people cringe when we say, like, you don't customize the word UI, so why should you mm. customize SharePoint? And I kind of think that we, we, we reached a bit too far <laughs> with that comment. But I think you're right for the commodity stuff where it's like there's 10,000 of these sites living out there. Let's just leave those as they are. Yeah. 
And then for things like a, an intranet homepage where, you know, sure, and using publishing layout, you can do that stuff as well, uh, where you would customize a master page and lock it down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think there's, there's always, uh, you know, a case for just thinking about these pieces of guidance and thinking about whether they apply in all cases. But, you know, certainly like in that example of publishing intranet, and uh, something that is very specific and, and perhaps comms oriented with the specific look and feel. You know, I don't think it's crazy to have a custom master page there. Even you, you also mentioned that it was an interesting concept was um, because you customize it, it allows you to control change mm. changes too. So that if you put a C or a service pack into a SharePoint server and the master page changes and things start appearing, it might confuse your users. That's right, because, you know, you've probably, if you've got this heavily uh, sort of, you know, branded and publishing-oriented site, you've probably got some custom CSS and JavaScript around it to, to help you get that experience. But if you're on an out-of-the-box master page, as per the guidance, then you might find that, you know, there's an update to that master page in SharePoint Online and, and all of a sudden you have got a conflict. So, yeah. you know, that's why a custom master page might be sensible in those situations. It's not going to protect you from all of the kinds of changes because yeah. it could be a change to a particular control, for example. Right, or a page, on page. layout. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think, you know, sometimes it's useful to take any protection you can get and, uh you know that's that's why I sort of talk about that one a little bit. And then the the, the web template discussion. I know Vess is very passionate about this, but mm. what's your take on that? So very much the same, actually. That I think that you shouldn't be using a custom web template for things like team sites or collaboration type workloads. You know, I, I do definitely agree with this idea of creating from the out of the box team site. You know, and, and sort of using remote provisioning to apply any tweaks to that site like adding a document library or adding content types so i think that's you know that's the rule there but again if it's uh if it's a, a publishing oriented site then custom master page and custom web template probably isn't too crazy yeah well i think we've covered pretty much all those topic areas which is pretty impressive in in the time we've done yeah. um I, again it's really good to have you on the show I, you know i'd love to have like a whole like 10 series where we just sit down and talk about these areas and look more detail could, you know? because <laughs> you know i think it's amazing that well, obviously, you get to do a lot with customers, and so your experience is something, and the way you share it is, yeah, it's a great for everyone who's listening in terms of this value prop around here. And I know you've done a lot of work with some of the new areas outside of SharePoint too, with the APIs and so mm. forth as well. So I kind of I'm looking forward to seeing what blog posts you have in the future coming through. I have got a couple in the pipeline. Actually, yeah. That so I'm, what's your process? Do you have a OneNote notebook where you throw your ideas down and I, they kind of... Do you know what? I'm almost ashamed to admit how long it takes me to write a single blog post sometimes. Really? I think it's partly because I generally do it on the train in London to yeah. and from the office. Or yeah. I do it around the edges of work or you know maybe early in the morning or, or late at night. And what it means is that I'm constantly just chipping away with like 10 minutes here, 15 yeah, minutes yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And what I end up doing is I'll, I'll get on the train and I'll open the blog article where I was up to. And I find myself, instead of writing a new paragraph on the end, I actually rewrite what you, what's <laughs> yeah, already yeah. in the page. I go through that loop 30 times before <laughs> an article. That's why your blog post is so polished then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I think probably version one was better than version 30, but I still do it anyway. <laughs> No, it's great. And then, um, so when are you leaving? Are you I'm flying out tonight. Oh, so, you are. Uh, yep, yeah, back at uh, get back, back to the client work wife and kids. Yep, indeed. Oh, you know, back in the office home tomorrow as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm mean, I guess the time difference is not too bad for you. No, and... that's right. And I, I think I got over my uh, sort of Seattle jet lag earlier. Well, night. that's right. Yeah, that was. When did you get back from the summit? Uh, I flew on Saturday evening, um, and then that got back, back to London for Saturday, a uh, Sunday lunchtime. Had oh, a few wow. hours and one night in. London and then back out here to start. Oh, right. I'd be glad to be home then. Yeah, definitely, but you've been on the road as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to a few weeks yeah. at home. Well, you've worked hard as well and your team uh, sort of serves us devs well, so I think you need, uh, you need to put your feet up as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Thanksgiving. We get a nice long weekend out of that, which mm. is good. So, And congrats on your current status. Oh, yeah, Best thank you. the wedding. And yeah, it was funny. The um, we, we were in that big hall last night and... Um, yeah, there was a lot of people in that room, and I so I took a quick photo of everyone sitting at the table eating dinner, and I was like, you know, this is this is the, the too high an mm. expectation of our wedding to have it in that hall. <laughs> but I said it'd be nice to uh, 
I have the money to kind of throw down to do uh, that. But uh, yeah, it'll be a lot smaller than that. But it's uh, yeah, it's been a good few weeks. It was uh, it's been really nice. A lot of the people here have been coming up and mm-hmm. you know, like, give me a hug and congratulating me. And I really like the community. Like everyone, you know, is very open and mm. um, you know, and caring. And yeah. it's nice that it doesn't feel like work. That's right. And um, I think there's a lot of good friendships. Yeah, and I think the SharePoint crew is very unusual in that sense that it does feel like that. Yeah. Um, and obviously, coming from being a a community MVP guy to now working at Microsoft, it still feels like I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of you guys. You are still outside. one of us, mate. I was just yeah. about to say. <laughs> so, yeah, and, I, and it's always been a big point of me to do that. And, you yeah. know, the, the minute that, oh, that guy from Microsoft, you know, is a pain <laughs> in the ass, like that, that's not the expectation I want with you guys. And actually, testament to people like Jeff Teeper, like he was... He's been walking around all week here, chatting mm-hmm. to just you know the the average Joe that maybe doesn't realise that he's a corporate vice president at Microsoft. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, like some of these guys are getting more time with him than I probably ever will, mm-hmm. um, because he's a busy guy. So yeah, well, you know, things seem to be in a good spot uh, with SharePoint going forward. So. Yeah, yeah. The Godfather. I was joking with last night. I said, "You do realise that the Godfather of SharePoint is going to stick, don't you?" And he was <laughs> like, "Yeah, I know." So well, let's uh, let's hope good things come from it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next few months where we start to disclose mm-hmm. a bit more about where it's going and um from what i've seen internally it's uh, you guys are going to be really happy with it so yeah i think um, uh, i I think it's going to breathe a whole new life into what we know of sharepoint and OneDrive. and um jeff's really proud of where it's going and he's got a good team underneath him so should be good like i say it'd be a bad time to give it all yeah don't go be a farmer right now i think there's still a lot of opportunity for you to in this field yeah we'd miss you too much as well i think we'd be drinking like for hunting you down and dragging you back to uh back to your desk great well have a safe flight back and um thanks again we'll definitely get you back on the show you know in a few months we'll talk a bit more and actually it'd be great once we announce all the sharepoint stuff to get your opinion of it on the show yeah and there's a few people i'd love to hear what your take is on it once we start talking about this stuff publicly that sounds like a plan excellent thanks chris cool thanks very Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.